Once again, we want to welcome you. We are uh, continuing in a series called uh, Searching for God. And in that, we are taking some of the top Googled questions about God uh, from the last few years. And actually, I think you could go for the last uh, 10,000 years. It's same going to be the same uh, kind of questions that people have. They just didn't have Google back then. But... Um, uh, when I first started thinking about this, I was thinking, oh, this is going to give us insight to people who are struggling in coming to believe in God. But the more I thought about that, if you if you don't have an interest in God and don't have a relationship, why would you be Googling God in the first place? I think most of the people that Google are people like you and me. Uh, that that uh, uh, The difference between our faith and what we hear in church and the reality of the world sometimes is at odds and doesn't seem to sync up and it makes us question our our commitment or what we've been taught or what we heard last week the question was is god good how do we know that god is good and and because i preached on that i've been watching this week and had more of an ear for it and i've seen it on facebook i've even seen it on some news shows and everything we talked about how the church we in the church we proclaim that god is good and and that is true we believe that god is good but it's it's funny that the only time we say that is when it's it's when we get our way some of the stuff i saw like from a pastor we had extra people in church today god is good well he wasn't good last week when your attendance was down or uh, just got back from the doctor no cancer god is good hallelujah that is great Uh, but god is good even if you had gotten cancer Right. And, and, and I think for many of us, uh, growing up in the church, we, we, we were sort of pushed back on our asking questions about stuff like that. It's just, no, that's the way it is. God is good. Don't ask questions. Uh, that you just have to believe that. You'll figure it out sometime. Uh, and, and it just leaves this, this gaping hole because, I mean, The question of God is good, if he's good, then that leads to our question today. If God is good, then why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? If there, if there is a number one question, if there's a number one resistance to Christianity, this is that question. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? It, 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 it's philosophy 101 in college, that college professor that's determined to undermine your faith and, and tell you that you're an idiot if you believe in the Bible and stuff. And they can come with all these uh, examples. And, and you don't have to work very hard to come up with examples of how the world isn't good. We've all experienced it. We all know that. There, there's hunger and, and, and sickness and, and deformities and birth defects and, and medical conditions and, and wars and it, it just goes on and on and on. And if God is good, why does he allow bad things to happen? And I, I, I just say up front, I'm not going to be able to do justice for this. We can stay for five hours if you want. We can do a, uh, we can do a little in-depth study, but, uh, I, I'm going to scratch the surface and hopefully, uh, give you some, some things to 
think about. But I mean, I, I, I believed in God for a long time and I still struggle with this at times, right? It, there, there's, there's a disconnect from what we see as good and the bad that we see in the world. And, and here's the deal. We, if we were pressed on this, if somebody came and asked, we would deny this. But in reality, we, in our Christianity, we, we love formulas like A plus B equals C. In a lot of ways, we, we, pre, we, we practice our Christianity more like magic than a faith journey. That if you do this and this and hold your hand this way and come to church and put a tithe, then that equals good. And if you don't, bad. That's when, when I, I always cringe when I see somebody in the grocery store and they say, oh, I got to get back to church. My life isn't going well. I'm like, well, it, coming back to church isn't going to make it much better. But um, come on, we'll take you. All right. We, in, in reality, we, we are much more comfortable with karma than we are with the biblical witness, right? Because that makes sense to us. And that, that puts us sort of in power, that good people get good results and bad people get bad results. And so the good people will get what they earn. And we love that until we need grace. But good people get good. Bad people get bad. That makes us more comfortable in the world. That means all the bad people will suffer and all of us good people will have blessings. But how many of you good people here have gone through something difficult or tragic in your life? Come on. Or we're going to pretend, okay, we're going to pretend and not be honest this morning, but that's all right. Yeah, that formula doesn't work, does it? And, and frankly, this is part of why um, I think it's always been a problem. But our inability to talk into this and move beyond little hallmark sayings and bumper stickers, our, our ability to engage in this and open the box to the idea that we don't fully understand God has been a repellent to, to folks over and over again. And, and a lot of our emerging generations, just they, they don't have the patience for it. They want to engage in this type of thing. They're trying to, to and, and I don't think we're ever going to be able to perfectly understand the world. But if, if God is who we claim him to be, he should be able to withstand some questioning and, and introspection, correct? And so we're, we're going to wrestle with this question a little bit today. And I'm going to, I'm going to introduce that by going to John chapter nine. And I'm just going to read the first three Verses. It's the introduction uh, to the story of Jesus healing the blind man, uh, which is uh, one of my favorite stories, the man born blind who uh, gets healed by Jesus. But I just want to read the first three verses of this uh, narrative uh, to introduce us to <clears throat> this subject. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, Jesus is on the road. He walks into town. Uh, They see this blind man. He's calling for help. I'm guessing that he must have been part of his plea, must have been, help me, I've been blind my whole life or something. Somehow they know that he's been blind since birth. And immediately the disciples go in to try and to categorize him right? Because we have a hard time with human suffering and we, we want to, that's why we like karma. If, we, if karma is what it's about, then that we can make some sense of that. But how do we explain uh, birth defects and, and some of that kind of, of thing? Uh, and how do we get our heads around that? And for a, a, a common Jew, uh, Jewish belief had to do with sin, that it, it, it was punishment for sin. So their question is, so who sinned him or his parents that he was born blind right I mean it's got to be somebody's fault what what they do wrong because if, if you can nail it there well now that world makes sense and as I said, that was a common Jewish belief, but that, that makes no sense. Him, I mean, if, if he was born blind, that means he was punished for sins before he was even born. But there's a, there was a line of Judaism that believed in a form of reincarnation. And so uh, in their mind, he could have been punished for a previous life and now having to live this life out uh, blind. And whatever the fact, it came down to it's got to be someone's fault. And Jesus addresses it and, and wants to shift their focus immediately. It's like, no, it's not because of his sins or his parents' sins. It's so that God's glory can be manifest in his life. And, and I've, I, I think this passage sometimes gets misinterpreted and mis, uh, misunderstood. And not that I'm the perfect understanding, but I'm, I'm preaching, so you're going to get my understanding of it uh, for that. I don't think, uh, because if you take that too literally and, and the way a lot of people try to bend it, then that makes God uh, this this um, ruler who sits on the throne and then uh, randomly points out people to suffer and others to bless, right? And, and so God's up there going, hmm, you are going to have a problem and you and you. And I'm going to sprinkle some fairy dust on this one and the, right? That, but th- that's not who it is, right? I think what Je- I think what Jesus was trying to say is sin's a problem in the world anyway, but God has power over everything and God has a way to take whatever bad there is and turn it into something good. In fact, if you read on in the in this passage, Jesus goes on to say, I'm here, I've come into the world to do the, all the work I can before it gets too dark. I'm the light of the world. I'm going to shine the light to overcome the darkness. Jesus' understanding was his role as the Son of God was to come in and, and to, instead of reflecting on the darkness, was to shine light into it. And by doing that, by shining light into the darkness, God would be glorified. Now, sin is certainly a part of it. At, at the end of the day, it's all of our sin that's to blame for the evil in the world. 
That's the whole concept of, of original sin. You go back to Genesis that God created and he created a perfect paradise. But out of that perfect paradise, sin entered the world. And at that point, creation fell. There was a separation. Now, God didn't allow it to become a permanent separation, and he still maintains presence within it. But but what was originally created is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, that's where, that's the journey we're on to where when you get to the end of our, our scriptures in Revelation 20, in Revelation 20, he says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything will be restored back to the original intent. But now we live in brokenness and sin because of sin, because of separation. That's why we have illness. That's why we have pain and suffering. That's why in Revelation, it says when everything is made right again, there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears. Because all of those are a result of sin. But now sin has entered the world. It's a part of everything we knew. Natural disasters, drought, uh, illness, sickness, all those kind of things are a result of sin. But what Jesus is pointing us to is the idea that even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of sin, God can do something good out of that we all know Romans eight twenty eight. can you put that verse up this is Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them and and again, one of those passages that it is powerful, and it's it's one of his his promises. But it's also one that if you send that to me right after somebody something bad happened in my life in a little Hallmark card, I'm going to come burn your house down. <laughs> right? Something horrible happens, and well, God works all things together for good. Well. Right? That just, that's not what you want to hear. But don't let the frustration in the, and why does that bother? Because our experience is so different from that. Well, why? But that's, that's true. God has this way of taking every circumstance, good or bad. In the book of James, it says the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? The world isn't fair. We, there's not karma at play in the world. It's the results of, of a fall and it's not fair. Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. But God, despite circumstances, can work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Old Testament story. Joseph. Remember Joseph, coat of many colors. Joseph's got a bunch of brothers. Joseph's a little precocious, has a dream that he's going to become important and his family's going to bow down before him. He shared that at dinner one night. They didn't go over well. His brothers took him to work with him. A few days later, left him in a hole to die. And, 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 uh, just went back, put some blood on his clothing, told his dad as he was dead. Joseph was a good guy. He believed in God. He was a righteous person. He wasn't very smart about what he shared at the dinner table, but he was a righteous person. He did not deserve that. 
While he's in a hole, slave traders come and find him. He's taken into Egypt. He becomes a slave for Egypt and and lives this life uh, in prison and in service, but never wavered in his faith. Despite years and years of being unjustly thrown into a horrible situation. He maintained his faith and just tried to make the best of it. And through his effort and his righteousness, he sort of worked his way up and and was getting more and more freedom and more and more recognition to the point where he became uh, sort of the personal assistant to one of the, the leaders. And while he was working for him, his, his, the, the leader's wife came and made a pass at him and, 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 and uh, was, was asking him to, to go to bed with her. And he resisted and, and said no, and it made her mad. So she turned around and then told her husband that he had raped her. So he's thrown into prison again. I mean, the trajectory of, and this is at the end of Genesis, and this is the section of Genesis that is easy Bible reading, right? I, I encourage you to go read the end of Genesis. The Joseph story is fascinating. Uh, it's, it's entertaining. It moves well, uh, in, and you need to get in your Bible every once in a while, right? Ends up in prison again. Other circumstances, I can't tell the whole story. Other circumstances, he finally gets out of prison, is able to uh, interpret a dream that says it's about to be a huge drought coming that's going to wipe out all the resources and all the land and allows uh, Egypt to build up resources and be uh, ready for when disaster strikes. And his reward for that is he becomes, uh, he becomes the distributor for all all the goods uh, when when this seven year drought uh, gets the worst and no one has food when they come to get food Joseph is the one that's in charge of dealing all of that out meanwhile back at the ranch his family remember the brothers that had threw him in a hole and then thought he was dead they're hungry they go to Egypt to get food. They don't recognize Joseph right away, but Joseph recognizes them. There's this whole interplay that happens, but basically Joseph sends food with them that saves his family and his people. They finally figure out who he is. They are scared to death because now he's in power and control. He has a chance to do horrible things to him. And in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's response is, What you intended for evil, God used for good. What you intended for evil, what what the devil uses for evil, what the enemy comes at, what the world throws at us for evil, God intended it for good. Part of that story through Genesis is a patriarchal uh, line of ancestors that is the basis of our faith. And that family would have been at risk and could have died because of hunger, except for the fact that God used the horrible circumstances of Joseph to provide for a family to work together all things for good even though they couldn't see it. I don't think in the middle of, Joseph spent up to 40 years in prison. I don't think in year 35 he's going, but I know God's doing something good. Because when you're in the midst of that, it's hard to see it. 
But looking back, he could say that. That's Old Testament, New Testament story. The Jewish nation was a crumble. It was, it was not as powerful as it, it. They were even living under the domination of another government, Roman government. Corruption and, and identity were, were just out the door and into that mess. God sent his only son into the world. His name was Jesus. And he showed up and he proclaimed the good news about God and he healed and he preached and he taught and he sat and ate with sinners and he, he forgave sins and he, and he brought people in that had been pushed out. And because of all of that, the religious leaders were jealous of them and began to conspire against him. And everything came to a head when they were able to catch one of his disciples in a vulnerable moment where he decided to, to betray his Lord to these people. And he's arrested and beaten and put on a, a, ho- a horrible mock trial, a bunch of false lies and whipped and naked and mocked and hung on a cross. I mean, you want to talk about evil gone wild? That's evil gone wild. And if you would, if, if there was, if there was ever the display of, I mean, you would think that's the end. Nothing good can come out of such a despicable act as that. You can't see it right now, but we've got a cross there. We've got a cross there. Many of you have crosses here. Why do we wear those? Because that, that symbol of pain and suffering has become for us hope and salvation. Because God took the evil of his son's death and turned it into salvation for you and I. It's through his death and resurrection that we have life with Jesus. God, with, with God, God was able to take bad things and work them together for our good. Personal story. Lori and I, our second appointment was to go to uh, South Shore Lake Travis to start uh, a church, Bee Creek United Methodist Church. And as a part of that, as we, we got a gift of 40 acres of, of land that overlooked uh, Lake Travis. And uh, part of the designing of that campus, going back in my mind, I had always thought, and I don't want to call it a vision, I don't want to be all like weird, religious, spooky on you or anything, but I just always had this idea that that I was somehow going to have a part of my ministry was going to be camp related and a part of how we designed that campus was what we built first was cabins and a worship center and everything that would eventually become a retreat center and as the church grew we would then build a a sanctuary and when we moved to the sanctuary then that would become a camp and when I got that appointment they told me I was going to be there for 20 years and so we'll, we'll get to see all of this come to fruition and after eight years they said no you're moving to Harlingen Texas and it seemed like the dream had died right and we were frustrated and angry and and uh, you know that was 2011 and then in 2017 
I was appointed to Kerrville, which at least we had hills, uh, right? But the whole idea of a camp had gone out of my mind. But in my second year, the conference began to talk about what to do with the property over at Light on the Hill, Mount Wesley. And wasn't on my mind at this point, but as we worked together for that and, and uh, made that a reality, you know, I talked about an Ebenezer. Every time I go over there for an event, that's an Ebenezer for me. Because that vision of getting to serve some way on a campus, a, a camp campus, well, we're doing more than I ever imagined or thought we could have. And it turns out the horrible move to Harlingen and the horrible move to Kerrville <laughs> was actually one of the best things that could have happened. Why? Because God can work all things together for our good. Now, I don't know your story and I don't, I don't know your circumstances, but I do know this about you. You either have been, currently are, or will be at a time where things are horrible. And you're either trying to get over it or trying to get through it or trying to move past it. And at times it is so easy for it. This is why this, is why this has been an eternal question. How can a good God let bad things happen? And I, and I know some of you have, have gone through unspeakable tragedies that I can't pretend to understand. And, and, and it plays on our faith. And, and we make the mistake, uh, and we use language like this. Well, if you had strong faith, then God, well, you know what? Even if you don't have strong faith, even if you can't hang on, I would love to think of myself as a strong faith person that no matter what comes, I'm, oh, I'm there. But no, I'm the worst at that. One bad thing happens. I'm like, oh my God. But even when I don't have the strength to hang on, God never lets go. And he's never going to let go of you either. In old days, we would have had an altar call and invite you at the altar. And um, But I want to do the same sort of thing, but you can just do it where you are. I just invite you to, to close your eyes with me if you would. And like I said, I, I think it's, it's a universal experience that we all, we all have to go through these things. It makes us question. It makes us wonder. It doesn't fit into the Sunday school flanagram that we saw. And it, didn't, it doesn't fit into the narrative that we often share in church of come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. But I encourage you to just honestly lift before the Lord. What's the thing that's that's hard for you to get past or to get through? What's that thing that's making you question whether you can trust him? And please don't be afraid of hurting his feelings because he already knows everything about us anyway. For we know that he works all things together for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes.
even when we can't see it. Even when it hurts, even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God wants to do a good work in your life. Take it back farther than that. God is doing a good work in your life. Lord, we thank you for never giving up on us. We thank you for your faithfulness despite our, our fickleness. And God, thank you that you have power over all things, that you are able to take our worst experiences and make them be for us our testimony and our celebration. I just pray anyone listening to this that finds themselves in the midst of of the suffering and seems overwhelmed by it and not sure that they can go forward. God, I pray that somehow your spirit might give them an assurance or a sign that the story's still being written. And we pray that in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just a couple thoughts. If you go on with that story about the blind man, blind man is healed by Jesus. And the blind man's not necessarily a religious person. He's, he's Jewish, but he's not a big, uh, knowledgeable religious guy. Uh, he's questioned and gets in an argument with the religious, uh, uh, leaders because they're like, who healed you? And why, why did, why did there was a controversy around this. But the blind man, uh, just in a simple way began to testify of what Jesus had done for him. I don't know much about Jesus. All I know is I was blind and now I see, (laughs) right? That was his testimony. Jesus said at the beginning, this man was born blind so that God might be glorified. You were born the way you are so that God might be glorified. Here's our part of that. When you see God's hand at work, glorify him. Tell the story. Give him thanks. Give him praise. Last thought, in a sermon like this, it's, I, I, I'd, I'd never want to come off of being flippant of real life. And I know there are folks in our church that the tragedies they have gone through are unspeakable and make no sense. A loved one killed by a drunk driver. Parents having to bury their children because of an illness. The world doesn't make sense. And I wish there was some panacea I could just paint on to make you feel better. But there's, there's not an easy answer. It says, it says in 1 Corinthians that now we see as though through a, a glass strangely dim. But then we will see him as he is. I think the answers to some of this stuff in order for it to make sense we're going to have to wait until we're there with him but here's here's my encouragement to you i think when we hear the answer after he's wrapped his loving arms around us and we see him for how he is i don't think any of us are going to be disappointed
God is working even in the midst of your pain, even in unbearable, unjust, horrible circumstances. God is working to make good out of evil.